Good morning, church family. Uh, so excited to be bringing the word to you today. My name is Devin. I know what you're probably thinking. That's not Devin Fry. That's Trey Kennedy. I am not Trey Kennedy. If I get one more person to hit me up and say, I look like Trey Kennedy, I might sucker punch somebody right in the throat, okay? I'm not Trey Kennedy. I literally had somebody come up to me the other day. Uh, they, were in youth, they were in my youth ministry, and they were like, yeah, my pastor's Trey Kennedy, and they're telling their friends that. And I'm like, I'm not Trey. I'm not Trey. If you don't know who he is, he's a guy that does white girl impressions on YouTube. He's a famous YouTuber. Trey Kennedy, if you're watching this video, I am not you. You are not me. But let's be brothers in Christ. Okay, that's how it goes. Um, we're in a series right now. We're called uh, Stop Praying It Safe. It's a play on words. Instead of stop playing it safe, stop praying it safe. So many of us need to up our level in prayer, and our pastor has really challenged our church right now to really do so. And we just finished a week of prayer. We're going to have another week of prayer and fasting in just a few weeks in the beginning of February. But I'm excited to bring this word today. I'm going to dive right back in. But I want to highlight the series text. The series text is found in Philippians chapter 4. And this is what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, come on, we need some of that in our culture today. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the series kind of thesis and big idea is this, is don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And that's going to be our goal for this whole series, is that literally when anxiety triggers you, it is a trigger and a reminder from God to start praying. And so don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And I'm telling you, Life just has a way of working itself out because God is now invited. We're going to talk about that a lot today. Today my assignment is clear. It's found in John chapter 14. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 12 and 14 is where we're going to be going today. i got a great message for you. I hope you're ready. Take some notes and uh, throw some fire in the chat if you are ready. Come on. John chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Uh, a quick little context actually. So this is what's known as the farewell discourse. Jesus is about to depart from the disciples. And these disciples are burdened. They are heart, their hearts are troubled is really why Jesus says this to them. Their hearts are troubled. They are struggling. They're fearful. Their leader, their pastor, their mentor, their shepherd, their Lord and Savior is now going to depart from them. And he's mentioning something about an advocate coming down. He's referencing the Holy Spirit coming down to descend as Jesus ascends. And they're all troubled. They're like, what? You're leaving us? Where are you going? And Jesus gives this famous discourse that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can to the Father except through me. And right now, Peter, you're not going to go to heaven with me. That is one day. But right now, you need to be here on earth for your assignment. So he says, let your hearts not be troubled in verse 1. In verse 12, it says this. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And even greater works than these will he do. Now, sometimes we get this confused because we think that we're going to do greater works than Jesus. And unless you are ascending and descending into the heavens and back down to earth, you are probably not going to do the same miracles Jesus did. Now, this is not in reference to the quality of the miracles. This is in reference to the quantity of miracles that you will see. Many people, many scholars will kind of hyperlink this to Peter. And Peter was one that preached to thousands of people and 3,000 people in a single day gave their hearts to Christ. This is what it's in reference to. It's not that you're going to do greater works and miracles and resurrections like Jesus, because sometimes people can get this confused. This is in reference to the quantity 
of the works because the body of work that we have in front of us is so much greater. Greater works you will do is what Jesus says. Uh, because I am going to the Father. And this is, a, this is a verse that is oftentimes misunderstood. This is where the prosperity gospel will oftentimes come into play, that if you blab it and grab it, that you will get it. You'll name it and claim it. And this is not what this verse is saying. As a matter of fact, I want to bring some, some clarity to this, but this is what it says. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I'll say it one more time. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I want to preach from this title and this subject today. Put some respect on my name. That's my sermon title today. Put some respect on my name. I know all the young people are like, yo, I know what he's talking about. For Some of the older people, uh, older generation. Let me just, I'll give you some context throughout the sermon. Don't worry about it. But the sermon title today is called Put Some Respect on My Name. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in and through our church. I thank you for challenging our pastor to teach us how to pray. I pray that our prayers would increase, we would decrease. And Lord, would you show up and show off in a significant way. Help us today to see Jesus, hear from heaven so clearly. We ask for the power of God to be present in today's sermon. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Um, my son has started jujitsu class. Now, he is, you know, a borderline stone-cold killer at this point. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. He's been going for four months. This kid, as far as I'm concerned, already a black belt, okay? My firstborn, Zion Joshua, unbelievable. I am that dad, by the way. Go into class, walk into, you know, of course, the, I don't know what you call it, the dojo. You walk in there, and, like, I am vocal. Zion's got a pretty charismatic personality, so he's walking in. People know him at this point because he's just so loud and proud. So we go through half of our class, right? They do their warm-ups, they do their frog jumps, they do their stretches, they do their rolls. They start doing a few, uh, you know, maneuvers. Zion can put somebody in an armbar right now. The kid is three and a half years old. The kid can put somebody in an armbar. Essentially, I'm telling you, he might be the next Charles Oliveira, okay? He's a UFC champion for reference. This kid's unbelievable. End of the class shows up, okay? We've been doing this class for about four or five months. End of the class, the master comes up to me, or our sensei, whatever you like to call him. He comes up to me, he goes... Uh, excuse me, uh, Dad, can you, uh, can you take off your socks? I said, excuse me? Take off my socks? What am I taking off my socks for? He goes, yeah, you and your son are actually going to do a tug of war, and it's going to be you and Zion versus four of these other little kids. I said, this is the greatest day of my entire life. Like, if you know my personality, if you know me, you know I thrive in these conditions. I was hyped, okay? Take off my socks, whipped it over there. And literally the parent next to me, because again, we have a little bit of a reputation as fries. We're a little bit loud. We're, you know, a little bit obnoxious, but the parent next to me, I'm not kidding. As soon as the master said, uh, dad, I need you to go up there and you're going to do a tug of war. The parent next to me goes, oh God, <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. That's literally what happened. Walk onto the scene. Zion's with me. We grab somebody's belt and we use this as a tug of war. So it's me and Zion versus four other little munchkins, these little prepubescent little munchkins. Like it's us them four versus me and Z. And so I turned to the sensei and I'm like, do you want me to go hard? Do you want me to go soft? Do you want me to like win? Do you want me to lose? Like, what do you want? And, and the guy goes, do whatever you want. 
I said, are you sure? Do you know who you're talking to? And she, he goes, do whatever you want. You can win, you can lose, do whatever you like. And literally in the back, the parent goes, oh, God. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So I get the rope. Zion gets the rope. I teach him the deal. I said, Zion, we're fries. We don't lose this stuff. Now, you see those four little munchkins? These are your enemies. I need to make sure they go home insecure. I want their identities to be crushed. I didn't, I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. But I tell Z, we're winning this freaking thing. So we both grab the rope. Zion grabs the rope. Three, two, one. And now I'm just going to play. I'm going to be dramatic with it. You know, we're going to lose ground. We're gaining ground. We're going forward. He's going backwards. And me and Z are going at it. To the point where in the middle, Zion's having so much fun. He goes, Dad, we're doing it. And I'm like, I'm like having the best dad moment of my life. I'm like, this is definitely going to be a sermon illustration. I'm in the middle of this thing. And I'm like, this is for sure going to be in a sermon. Here it is. So we're pulling back and forth, and I'm being dramatic with it. I start talking smack to the other kids. I go, you think you're going to beat me? Oh, 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 yeah, what's up? Oh, and I start playing with it, having the best time of my life, to the point where Zion is so excited. He literally turns to me, let's go on the rope multiple times. He goes, Dad, we're doing it. I said, Zion, put your hands on the rope. What are you doing, son? What in the world are you doing, kid? Get your hands back on the rope. He's adjusting his mask because we've got to wear masks in this place. So he's grabbing the rope. I'm grabbing the rope. And finally, the moment of truth comes. So I literally turn to these kids, and I say, Now's the time. So I take a big step back. This is why we do leg day, by the way. Some of you fellas, you guys are skipping leg day. You don't skip leg day. That's a word from God for some of you guys. So I, I put my feet firm foundation, and I'm just moving back. And I'm moving back. And I'm, you're, you're probably thinking, what in the world is this sermon coming to right now? Don't worry, it's coming to a close. So I'm moving back. I'm stepping back. And finally, rip him, yank him. All the kids go flat, and Zion turns to me. He goes, Dad, we did it. And I was so pumped. I'm also breaking a sweat. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling this story. I'm out of breath right now. But I was so hype. And Zion and I high five. And Zion goes, Dad, we did it. In my head, I'm thinking, Zion, you did nothing, bro. I did all the work. All you did was hold the rope a few times. And even that, you couldn't even do, buddy. That's what I wanted to say in my head. But out loud, I said, Zion, let's go, baby. We're fries. We get dubs. We win. And... And the reason I'm sharing this story is because doesn't this look like the image of so many of us? Is aren't so many of us in the tug of war of life, and this is what we do, so many of us don't ask our Father to assist. And so many of us are in this predicament because we are not prayerful and not inviting the power and the greatness and the goodness of God into our situations. We are stuck fending for ourselves, fighting against all these opponents. Responsibility, the enemy, uh, having to manage money, having to go through the internal battles, the external battles, suffering loss and heart. How many of us are doing life by ourselves in this tug of war and you're doing it all alone without your father assisting you? Friends and family, can I just make a plea to all of us that we have to get grounded and become people of prayer? Pastor Zenzo Matoka says this, and it really helped me so much. He says, God in his integrity will not budge into the affairs of man unless invited. It just changed something for me in my head. I guess I always thought, and we're going to address it today, a few myths, but I guess I just always thought God's going to do what God's going to do. Why does my prayer matter? And God, in his integrity, will not budge into your affairs unless he is invited. 
So many of you think God is working on your behalf. He needs to be invited on your behalf. And so the question I want to ask is, why don't we pray? Simple question, but it is one that requires investigation. Why don't we pray? I think so many of us are not praying and we're not prayerful people because of multiple reasons. And we're going to get into that. But before that, I want to address something with you and really put a plea to you is, is here's my prayer for our church is I am literally begging God first and foremost for my family, but then for my church family, my spiritual family. I am praying for three things. I'm praying that God would, number one, increase our prayer life that he would increase our prayer life. He would help us. Now, it is a conscious decision on our end. You have to make no mistake about it. It is a conscious decision on our end, but I'm praying that he puts a burden, a desire, that he would open your eyes. He would put something in your heart to have a desire to become a prayer warrior. The Bible says so clearly that my house will be a house of prayer. It does not say that my house will be a house of preaching. It doesn't even say my house will be a house of small groups. I think both those things are imperative for your spiritual growth. Make no mistake about it. But he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And to be honest, and this is what our pastor says, so I can say this with authority, our house as Connect Church is not that. And I think we need to do a better job as leaders. And I'm taking responsibility myself to lead from the front and become men and women of prayer. But first we need to lay a groundwork for what prayer is. Because I think so many of us have some, have some myths in our head. We need to dispel some stuff. And I want to help you lay some groundwork for what prayer is. I wrote a few things down here. But, but first and foremost, I need you to know, prayer doesn't waste time. Listen to me, prayer saves time. It redeems the time. What the devil took 10 years from some young people, I, I've seen them in their stories. The devil has taken 10 years from some people. From a relationship to distractions to, to business ventures that were not of God. And when the devil took 10 years, God can redeem it in one. But I'm telling you what prayer does is prayer doesn't waste time. Prayer saves time. As a matter of fact, prayer, oftentimes people think that prayer is burdensome. Prayer is the exact opposite. The intent of it is the exact opposite. Prayer is not meant to be a burden. Prayer is meant to be an unburdening. Is you are literally exchanging your weight and putting it on God. Can you imagine Zion by himself, just tug of war roping by himself? This kid's a young little kid. He's 35 pounds, soaking wet. He can't go against four different people. But when you have dad, especially dad that has, you know, strong legs and, you know, goes to the gym. What's up? I know I'm probably referencing myself as God. Definitely narcissistic. Please forgive me, Lord. But you have to have your dad in the corner. And so many people are doing life by themselves. And they're doing this tug of war thing by themselves. Prayer does not burden you. Prayer unburdens you. And I said this before, but I think it bears repeating. So many of us, when you get hit with anxiety, anxiety is a trigger and should be a reminder that it is time to pray. That's what anxiety simply is. is It is an indicator that it is time to pray. I wrote down, prayer might not be the only thing you should do, but it is absolutely the first thing you should do. Prayer is not our last resort. It is our first response. We are prayer people. We invite God into the circumstance, into the situation. And maybe your situation and circumstance wouldn't be something you would complain about if you started praying about it in the first place. And I love this. I heard this in a song recently. Is every prayer today is a seed for tomorrow. Every single prayer today is a seed for tomorrow. We must become people of prayer. This is my first prayer, is that we would increase our prayer life. 
I'm both speaking to the quality of our prayers, but also the quantity of our prayers, is that prayer would increase in our church. Here's a second prayer of mine, is that, you, that prayer would increase, we would increase the impact of our prayers. You know that there are different levels of prayer, right? Like, not every prayer is heard, as a matter of fact. Not every prayer is as equally powerful. I think we have to understand a few things about prayer that the Bible says here in James chapter 5, verse 16. The heartfelt, I love the Amplified, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man is able to accomplish much. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man. Now notice these details. It must be heartfelt and persistent. You wouldn't persist in prayer if you didn't have faith that prayer was going to change some things. So here's a few things I wrote down. If you have little persistence, if you have little faith, if you have little passion, you will see little harvest. I'm going to say it again because that is so good. With little persistence, with little faith, with little passion, you will see little harvest. I don't know about you. I just hear the Taylor Swift song in my head as soon as I said that. I don't know about you. But I don't want a little harvest. I want a big harvest. I think, I think what Pastor John Javed said a few years ago was prophetic. That when prayer becomes your habit, miracles become your lifestyle. So you must learn how to increase the impact of your prayers. There's so many different prayer models out there. you got the Jabez prayer, the Trinity prayer, the Lord's prayer, the Tabernacle. There's so many different prayer models out there. But I pray that the impact of your prayers hits. I am convinced in my know, I, I know in my knower, I know in my soul, God has heard my prayers. I think a few things need to matter and, 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 and must be done in times of prayer. And I'm going to get to that in the third point. Sometimes I get ahead of myself because I just get so excited. I feel like a, a puppy dog sometimes. But here's a prayer model that I wrote down. I think, I think this, for the most part, this, these three steps should be in every single prayer of yours. Number one, appreciation. I wrote down appreciation. This, this is such good phrasing, by the way. I love this. I should get paid significantly for this right here. I'm going to write a book one day. Appreciation for God's goodness. Come on. God has been good to you. You think about it from a human perspective. We are image bearers of Christ. Therefore, so much of what is inside of us and our desires, our will, is because it was in God first. So we are image bearers of Christ. You have to understand something, that when you get appreciation, when you get feedback, when you get thanked, and something lights up on the inside of you, this is from God. And typically, God does not hear your prayers until He hears a thank you, a praise you, I magnify you, I glorify you, glorify God. Appreciation for God's goodness. Listen, I'm not saying that all of your life is perfect. I'm not saying you are without problems. I'm not saying you don't have struggles or stresses right now in your life. You do. You got those. But God has been good. The fact that you got breath in your lungs... The fact that you got a church family to belong to, the fact that you drove here in a car, the fact that you are watching online and have technology to support this, I'm telling you, appreciate God for His goodness. Then I would say, invite God's greatness. You must have appreciation for God's goodness, invitation for God's greatness. Do you understand that this man is a way maker? He is a change maker. He is a changed specialist. He is a healing agent that there is nothing that is too hard for my God. This is who he is. Invite God's greatness into your situation. I don't care what you are facing. I don't care if you got 
an illness. I don't care if you just got diagnosed with cancer. I'm telling you, God's greatness can show up and show off in your situation. Now, I'm not promising that he's going to heal it. All I know is I can predict who he is. I cannot predict how he will do it. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's good. A prayer model, appreciation for God's goodness, invitation for God's greatness, and confrontation with the devil's foolishness. Prayer is not just communion with God. It is confrontation with the devil. Some of you need to just learn how to confront the devil. I rebuke what was said over me. I rebuke and address and curse and cancel the lies that the enemy has been whispering in my ear. I rebuke and curse the sickness. Some of y'all need to learn how to rebuke and not just invite. I know I'm preaching just to a camera right now. I'm preaching in an online community, but I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I'm ready to shut it down. So number one, here's my prayers that we would increase our prayer life. Number two is that we would increase the impact of our prayers. And number three, this is such a passion of mine, is that we would decrease our performance in prayer. I'm going to say it again, that we would decrease our performance in prayer. Do you know how many believers I meet? How many young people I meet? How many new people I meet to the faith that are so discouraged that they don't know the prayer lingo? Or, I'm not good with words. Who cares? And how many of us that have been raised in church, seasoned believers, uh, consistent churchgoers, how many of us have unintentionally discouraged people from praying because they don't know how to pray? Or they get so in their head. Listen, an adequate prayer to God would be help. That in and of itself is a prayer. When you don't know what to pray, thank you, God help me. Yet, there's a scripture that I'm going to read that's going to ruffle some feathers. And to be honest, I like it. Because this will ruffle the, the religiosity inside of every single one of us. When you pray, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. O Father who art in heaven. They like to just be, showcase how religiously elite they are. They want to showcase that they are the best of the best, the cream of the crop. And they sound eloquent with their words. They sound persuasive with their speech. And watch what the Bible says. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Which basically means, hey, if people are impressed by them, that's all they're going to get. They're not going to get answered prayers. They're just going to get people that are impressed with them. And what does that do? I would much rather have a broken prayer that doesn't sound nice, but is sincere and heartfelt that God hears and responds to, than have people hear me. Oh my gosh, my goodness is so good. Than have people hear me and not be rewarded by my Father because that was not a real prayer. It was just a speech. But when you pray, the Bible says, here's the solution. Go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans. Something I wrote down. Your prayers don't need to be long for them to be strong. I'm going to say it again. Your prayers don't need to be long for them to be strong. Some people just go on and on and on and repeat and repeat and repeat. And listen, this discourages other people from praying. I want to I pray in church. And they don't need to be long prayers for them to be strong prayers. I told you, inadequate prayer is God, help me. God, I need you. God, thank you. These are adequate prayers. 
And if they're sincere, here's, here's a motto I wrote down. Pray simply, sincerely, specifically, and scripturally. I'll say it again. Pray simply. Do you have a focus for your prayers? You don't have to go on and on and on. But pray simply. Then pray sincerely, heartfelt, straight from the heart. That's passion. That's saying, God, I need you. The earnest prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the Bible says. Maybe your prayers aren't effective because they're not earnest. They're not sincere. Then pray then pray, pray specifically. So many of us are too general with our prayers. God, God, we need, we, need, uh, we need some money. How much money do you need? Come on, God, I, need a, I, need a, I want a promotion. How? Why? Where? Like, pray specifically. And then when you don't know what to pray, find Scripture, pray through Scripture. Find a few phrases that let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. My heart will not be troubled. I speak to my soul just like David did. My heart will not be troubled, and I believe in God. I believe in who He is. I believe in His goodness. I believe in His greatness. That's praying Scripture. I can't tell you how many times people will ask me in wedding situations or dinners, and they're like, hey, you're the pastor. We need you to pray. And I always, always fight back at them. I'm like, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm the only person that should be able to pray. <laughs> and typically I'll mess with people because they'll be like, hey, pastor, can you pray? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'll just go straight up Catholic priest on them. Thank you, Lord, for this bread. <laughs> and I totally mess with them. And then I just, you know, I pray, Father, turn this, turn this, you know, mac and cheese into rock hard app. Do it in Jesus' name. We must learn how to decrease the performance of our prayers. So let me get to the question. The question is, why don't we pray? What is it? that we don't pray for. I think there's three reasons. I'm going to camp on number three. I'm going to go through first one and two quick, but I think we have three reasons why we don't pray. We don't pray because we're distracted. These phones, business, emails, text messages, calls, our calendar is so preoccupied with the things of the world that we have no time for the things of God. And I think that grieves the heart of the Father. Now, I'm of the persuasion, theologically, that because people don't pray, if you look at Second Chronicles, you would see, if my people humble themselves, would repent and pray, I would heal their land. That's a summarized version. I botched the most part of that scripture, but summarized. If they humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. What that means, in my eyes, is because of our lack of prayerlessness, laws were passed, governors were assigned, politicians were elected, because men and women of God do not pray. We have a responsibility. We have a moral obligation to pray. Shout out to all the praying moms. Shout out to all the praying dads that bless their children on a daily basis, that pray for the prodigals to come home, the people that pray for our church, the intercessors that pray for the ministry here, the people that pray for lost souls to be saved. Come on, we need people to pray, but we are so distracted by the things of the world that we have no time for the things of God. Or secondly, unbelief. As many of us, whether consciously or subconsciously, are fully convinced that 10 minutes surfing the internet for an answer is more powerful than 10 minutes praying to the Lord. And to be honest, I was in that camp for a while. That's because I didn't understand prayer. That's because I didn't know how to do it properly. That's because I misunderstood a scripture like this. And in Jesus' name, well, it says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. 
But we have to understand a biblical basis for what this means because God is not subjected to follow things that He never said. Just because we misunderstood the text does not mean that He is being a, a bad God or a bad father. He is not obligated to fulfill things that He never said He would fulfill. And many of us are so discouraged and our lack of unbelief keeps us from praying. And here's the third is, is poor theology. Is simply put, some of us have some jacked up, messed up theology that keeps us from praying. And that is what I want to address in the last few minutes of the sermon today. I want to highlight three different attributes of God that I think we need to understand if we are going to move forward in our prayer life and have our prayers, first of all, our prayer life increase, our impact in our prayer increase, but then also we would decrease the performance of our prayers. I think we need to understand a few different things, three attributes. I'll write these down first. The sovereignty of God, the immutability of God, and the name of Jesus. I want to highlight these three things quickly. Number one, I have three minutes to highlight the sovereignty of God. Lord, help me. The sovereignty of God. You need to understand the sovereign, this word sovereign, sov, reign, simply means supreme ruler. Supreme ruler. Sovereign means supreme ruler. So, God has a will. And as image bearers of Christ, what that means, and image bearers of God, what that means is, because God has a will, you have a will. And essentially, God's will, His his desire is really what that properly is translated to. God has a desire for your life. And there are three different types of wills. I wish I had time to break all these down in a future sermon. we got to break these down for you because uh, I'm really teasing you right now, but maybe do some own study and research. You can be in three different areas. You can be outside the will of God. You can be in a permissive will of God. And then you can be in the preferred will of God. Outside the will of God is you're just simply not in God's heart. You're not in God's plan. You're not in God's desire. But because you have a will, you can choose to follow that path. And there are many people that are outside the will of God for their life. But we'll pray sometimes, be like, God, if it's your will. Well, we know so much about God's will. We know that he wants to see all people saved. We know that he is not selective simply that who goes to heaven and who doesn't. But many of us choose not to go there. We know so much about God's will that He cares that we would be humble. He, care, he says pride, He cannot stand. But we know that about His will. He, he is re, repulsed by pride. We know so much of His will. And yet we say, if, if it is God's will, well, listen to me. You need to understand that you have a will. God has a will. And you can either choose to follow His will or not. So some of us are outside the God, God's will. Some of us are in His permissive will. Where we're saved, but we're stuck. Where we have given our hearts to Christ but we haven't given our lives to Christ. And then you have the, 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 what is it, the preferred will of God. And this is where you are saved, but you're also fulfilled. It's where you're using your gifts, your talents, your skills, your spiritual gifts, and you're using it for kingdom work. As you're not just working in business, you're the pastor of your business. Come on, you're in the middle of your gift sets. You recognize your design. You recognize your spiritual gifts. You recognize who you are and what you're called to do. And you are in the middle of the will of God for your life. You are in the preferred will of God for your life. We can be outside the will of God, in the permissive will of God, or in the preferred will of God. Watch this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slacking concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but He's long-suffering towards us. Watch this. He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So his will is that none should perish. But because his will is that, 
doesn't mean our will is that. So the sovereignty of God essentially is God's desire for humanity. God's desire for your life. Now make no mistake about it. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He rules the heavens. He is the King of the cosmos. God can do whatever God can do. God can do whatever He wants to do. But He has given dominion to the earth. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, He has given dominion to man over the earth. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Take dominion over it. So He must be invited into your affairs. He must be invited into your situation. So we think, we hear scriptures like this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. God knows what you need before you ask. So we think, here's how we translate that. He knows what I need. So if He knows what I need, why do I even need to pray? But notice the language. He knows what you need before you ask. What that simply means is, you're still required to ask. He knows what you need. He has what you need. He's got the resources. He's got the abundance. He's got all that stuff. And he wants to help you. He wants to provide for you. And listen, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So I'm not saying he's going to do exactly what you desire and need. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he won't. But because he thinks differently than us, he sees around the corner. We just see to the corner. We trust in the sovereignty of God. So if I don't have something, it's because either I don't need it or I didn't or I wasn't prepared for it, or it's not my time, or not my season yet. So we have to understand, God can do what He can do, but He needs to be invited into your situation. So unless your will moves God's will, you're not going to see the sovereignty and the blessing and the favor of God. So you must pray. He knows what you need, but you have to ask Him for what you need. That being said, I have more I could say on that. But for the sake of time, I have to move. But here's something I I wrote down that I think is important. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. And when you invite God into your situation, the sovereignty of God, the will of God, the desire and hope for humanity comes into your situation. I don't know where you're at, but I hear the scripture, let your hearts not be troubled. Invite God in this situation. Ask Him and watch His sovereignty reign. We need to understand the immutability of God. I simply put, immute, immute. Simply the root word in there is mutation. So M means not. And so essentially means not changing. God is not changing. And so we think, well, God has made up His mind. He's sovereign. He knows what I need. He's made up His mind. Why do I need to pray? Well, immutability is found in multiple scriptures. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible literally says, I, the Lord, do not change. James chapter 1, Old Testament, New Testament. James chapter 1, verse 17, simply describes, He does not change. He never changes. He's not like a shifting shadow. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what we need to understand is this is specifically in reference to His character. So God's character never changes, but watch this. His mind can change. Your prayers, I need you to get this. Please help me, Lord. Your prayers can change God's mind. That is mind-blowing to me. And how many people do not understand this? So when we pray, we think, if it's your will. No, your will can change God's will if you are praying in God's name and you are praying for God's will and you are praying according to His character. You need to understand a few things about God. First and foremost, God is for God. 
What does that mean? That means that God is for His glory. If it, if it is considering for His glory, listen to me. You better sign, seal, deliver that thing because God is for God. God is for humanity. He loves people. He wants to give as many people a chance as possible. It is not His will that any should perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. He did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. He loves humanity and He wants to see all of humanity saved. So you need to understand something. Your prayers have the ability to not change God's character, but they could change God's mind. I'll show you scripture. Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. You can't put it any more than this. NLT version. So the Lord changed his mind. The Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring upon his people. Essentially, this, another translation says God relented. If you look in the, in the Hebrew and even in the Greek, you'd find that this word is repented. God repented. Now that messes with some of our theology. God repented? What do you mean? Well, you need to understand the proper definition of repentance. is this term metanoia, which simply just means he changed his mind. God can change his mind because of intercessors, because of prayer warriors that will stand in the gap on behalf of people or on behalf of your family. This is why prayer is so important. I wrote down, we can predict who he will be. We cannot predict what he will do. All I know is that God is a way maker. I don't know how he's going to make a way. I just know he will make a way because he is a way maker. I know that he is a healer. I don't know how he's going to heal, whether it's on earth or in heaven, whether it's in your body, whether it's in your soul, whether it's in your sin. I don't know what he's going to heal. I just know he's going to heal. I know that he is a shepherd. I know that he cares for me when I am brokenhearted. I don't know how he's going to care for me. I don't know when the season I'm going to need extra care is going to be. I just know he is a shepherd and he is a caring, loving God. He is immutable. His character is unchanging. But his methods change every day. And so we need to understand the sovereignty of God, the immutability of God. But then we need to understand the name of Jesus. Because this is what it's all about. In the text that we read, the Bible simply just says this. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What is behind a name, simply behind a name, identifies the character and the nature of that person. The character and the nature of the person. So we need to understand what's behind the name. The name, this is not a magic code. This is not just something that identifies, if you say this, then this is going to happen. This is not a, a magic password and just the phrasing of it changes something. No, it's not the name or the phrase that changes everything. It's the person behind the name. You've got to understand who Jesus is. He is a rock. He is a redeemer. He is a healer. He is the reason for our salvation. He is the reason for our hope. This is who Jesus is. And by using in Jesus' name, essentially it's praying God's will, God's character and his nature. And so three things that Jesus' name provides for us. First of all, Jesus' name, as we pray it, provides accountability. You can't pray for a Beamer, Benz, or Bentley in Jesus' name and really have that prayer work. Because when you pray in Jesus' name, it signifies a relationship. It signifies that I am in God's will. It signifies that I am a Christian. I belong to him. And when you don't pray the purposes of God in the name of Jesus, you better believe that that prayer is not going to be heard by the Lord. 
It gives us accountability. We pray for his will, we pray for his glory, and we pray for people's good. It gives us access. You need to understand something about the name of Jesus, that in the Old Testament we had a high priest, and a high priest would go into the Holy of Holies as a representative to God the Father. But because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the veil was torn. We no longer need a high priest because Jesus was our high priest. And now we have direct access to the Father. So you don't need a high priest to pray to God. You don't need a pastor to pray to God. You can pray to God yourself. God has broken the veil. And now you have direct access to the King of kings and the Lord of the lords. You have direct access to the Father. And you can speak with a king. In no other democracy, in no other function, in no other political party can you go directly to the president, directly to a king, directly to some monarch. You can't do that in any place. You can barely do that in some churches. And we have direct access to the king of the cosmos, to the Alpha and the Omega, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's what the name of Jesus represents. Accountability, access, and number three, authority. I was watching this. Here's the whole title right here. I was watching this um, podcast called The Breakfast Club. Very famous podcast. There's this rapper named Birdman. Now, Birdman goes into The Breakfast Club, and apparently hears that The Breakfast Club, these three podcasters, these three people on the radio, were talking smack about Birdman. Birdman walks in. By the way, if you have a name, Birdman, God bless you. We're praying for you, Birdman. Uh, he, you know, he's a phenomenal artist. Don't get me wrong. Did, did great things in the music industry. But he has a sound. Every time you hear Birdman on one of his songs, he always goes, Burr! Can you imagine if you had a sound? You walk into a doorway, and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, it's Devin Fry. Ah, ah! You know how weird would that be? So weird. This is how my brain works. Anyways, he goes into this podcast studio. He goes, The camera's rolling. And he, all the guys are like, Yep, the camera's rolling. And he turns to everybody. He goes, you better put some respect on my name. I heard what you've been saying. You better put some respect on my name. And it, it becomes this global, iconic phrase that now UFC fighters are using, athletes are using, NBA players are using. Shoot, I used it last Wednesday at my basketball game. As people were disrespecting my jump shot, I was killing them. And I said, you better put some respect on my name. Well, I came here to function as a spiritual bird man. That's the weirdest phrase I've ever said in my life to just tell people it's time to put some respect on the name of Jesus again. I know culture uses the name of Jesus to slander and to squander it. They use it as a curse word. And Christians will use Jesus' name thinking that he is a genie. Jesus' name is not a name that is a genie. Jesus' name is a name that is a God. He was fully God. He was fully man. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. His name is not to be used in vain. His name separates, his, his, his person separates between his life and death. History separates between his life and death. He is fully God. He is fully man. His name represents salvation. His name represents hope. His name represents healing. His name represents the salvation for humanity. Put some respect on his name. When you use Jesus' name, you get accountability, you get access you get authority that you never got before. Matter of fact, here's, here's how the message paraphrase reads it. You can count on it. 
from now on, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I am doing in my name, I will do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who He is in the Son. I mean it. Whatever you request in this way, in my name, I will do it. It's time to put some respect on His name. We use the name of Jesus not as a magical code, but as access to the Father, using the authority of heaven and with the accountability to put my desires in check and put His desires first and primary and foremost. It's time to start praying. So here's my prayer for you and I as I conclude. My prayer is this, is that we would increase our prayer life, is that we would increase the impact of our prayers. When you pray, listen to me, friends and family, pray specifically, pray simply, pray scripture, expect results. God's going to blow your mind this year because you became a man or a woman of prayer. And I pray that we would decrease in our performance in prayer because we don't have to go before God having some eloquent, persuasive speech. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to be in communion and in intimacy and an intimate relationship with you. God wants to hear you this year. Put some respect on His name. I want to pray for you as we go. So Father, we love you. I pray, Lord, that you would use these words that I've shared. You would touch the hearts of everybody listening under the sound of my voice. I pray that some of these myths that hopefully I did an adequate job trying to expel, that you would put desires in their hearts to invite God into their circumstance. That they don't have to go through the tug of war life any longer, but they have a father who wants to back them. How exhausting would it be to do this by themselves. I pray you put, Holy Spirit, a reminder on the inside of them, a divine invitation that they give to God to say, I want help, I need you, I want to hear from you, I want to be in relationship with you. So Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that that burden would hit all the souls right now. I pray you do it in the Spirit right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, before we go, a couple things I want to highlight. Um, I'm launching a campus. And we're launching a campus. I'm the campus pastor of our Tri-County location. We would love to see you guys. Please, as we talked about today, please pray for us. Uh, we, need, we need divine assistance. We also need loads and loads of leaders. So if you're interested in that, you live in the Tri-County area, Bellingham, Milford area, we would love to have you. We got small groups coming up. We got CLA starting soon. I hope to see you guys in a small group or engage in community. Don't just sit there, uh, sitting there on your gifts. God wants to use those gifts this year. Let's become men and women of prayer. Let's become men and women of action. And I'm telling you, God's going to do incredible things this year. God bless you.